Thanks for joining us. The following is a presentation of Ignite Global Ministries and features the teaching of Pastor Ben Dixon. Pastor Ben has a vision of strengthening the church to impact the world. He serves as lead pastor at Northwest Foursquare Church in Federal Way, Washington. If you have a Bible, go ahead and turn to John chapter 14, John 20, Genesis 2, Acts chapter 1, Acts chapter 2, and don't forget John chapter 7. While you're turning there, go ahead and flag every passage that I just mentioned because that's about, that's about where we're going. Tonight, chapter 3, the title of my teaching is Everyone Can Prophesy. Let's go ahead and pray and we'll jump into our time together. Father, we do thank you for your word and many passages we're going to cover this topic of hearing from you and being able to share what you are saying to us for others. God, we certainly want to learn about it, but more than that, we want to be able to prophesy. And we are a spirit-baptized community, which means theologically that we have available to us what many in the past never have. And so we pray that you would deepen our understanding of that and help us to walk in the gifts and the power and the ministry of the Holy Spirit as a result of us being together. We trust you. We love you. We thank you in Jesus' name. Amen. Now, I want to remind you really quickly in this part of the conversation on prophecy, prophetic ministry, I did share with you in the first week about a little bit about my story. In fact, that was just a little bit about my story because a lot has transpired. And uh, you might remember that two weeks ago. Last week, we talked about what prophecy is, and I define the difference between biblical prophecy and New Testament charismatic prophecy. There are a lot of different ways we could describe that, but what does it mean to give a word from the Lord, and does that equate to Scripture? Of course it doesn't, and I wanted to make sure we did a good job of, making, of giving distinction to that because others outside of the Pentecostal church or the charismatic church they lodge a lot of accusations against Pentecostals thinking that we believe in extra-biblical revelation, and of course we don't. We don't believe in extra-biblical revelation. There are other um, kinds of movements outside of Christendom that believe in that. We are not one of them. We believe, according to the Word, that God speaks to His people, but we do not equate what we hear from the Holy Spirit with the eternal Word of God, okay? And so that's something we tried to talk about. We talked about the continuation of prophecy as opposed to those who are theologically cessationists. So I explained that. And I want to take another step today by convincing you, as if I already haven't, I, I don't know that I have, but I want to convince you thoroughly and completely that you and I, all of us, can prophesy. I'm talking about Christians. We can hear from God prophetically and speak what he is saying. And no, that does not have to look like Isaiah the prophet. It does not have to look like Jeremiah the prophet. And that's where a lot of confusion comes into play. I wrote my first book. It was called Hearing God. And the whole premise of it was John chapter 10 and verse 27. Jesus said, my sheep hear my voice. I know them and they follow me. And my, my thesis of that book was you and I can hear the voice of God personally. The thesis of this book, which you will read right from the title, is Acts chapter 2, and we're going to read that, that you and I can hear the voice of God prophetically. 
if I can convince you you can hear the voice of God personally, then I'm pretty sure I can get you to the place where we all believe that we can hear God prophetically. And I'm going to show you why I believe that. And I want to do that through three guiding principles. Because I think theology is important because it builds a foundation for our practice. Right? We practice what we believe. So what we believe is important. Not just so that we can look at other people and say, you don't know what I know. You know, not for that reason, not for prideful purposes, that we're smarter than other people, but we want to know God. We want to know his word so that we can live more like Jesus. That's the purpose of us knowing the word of God and building that strong and thorough foundation. So I'm going to give you somewhat of a theological framework for the Holy Spirit because I believe that our theology of prophecy is connected to our theology of the Holy Spirit. And there is no other way to look at this, especially as we continue the conversation over the next several weeks. You will see why I've unpacked it the way that I have and why I'm going to shotgun 100 verses at you. And you are just going to have to pick up the book and know where all the references are, or you can write them down if you have speedy hands. But the first guiding principle we want to discuss in understanding that everyone can prophesy, is this. The Holy Spirit will live or does live for Christians within you. And this is what we're talking about in our first guiding principle. When Jesus stepped into his public ministry, we read in Luke chapter 5, verse 1 through 38, that he chose 12 disciples. Now, I find this a very significant thing because when you look at the Old Testament, under the Old Covenant, you find that God would raise up one. He would raise up a person here, and he would raise up a person there, and there's an entire story that's devoted to the call of God and him choosing one person, anointing them for a specific assignment, and then sending them to accomplish his will. And look what Jesus does when he steps into his ministry. He comes down from the mountain, or it depends on which gospel you're reading, and he chooses a team. I think that's a significant shift from Old Testament ministry to New Testament ministry, and you're going to see why I said that here in just a moment. But the disciples had, obviously, three years to walk with, talk with, live life with the Son of God. They heard Him teach. They observed His miracles. They got to eat a meal with Jesus. Come on, can you imagine that? That would have been pretty exciting to see Jesus eat fish and rice or whatever their normal meal was. They were eyewitnesses to the life and to the ministry of Jesus Christ, which is one of the major reasons why we hold their biblical account as authoritative for our lives. He chose them as disciples, but he would eventually call them as apostles. Apostles means sent ones. Disciple means a learner of the words and ways of Jesus. That's what they were, but ultimately there came a transition where he would send them to continue his message, his ministry, and his mission. Shortly before his crucifixion, Jesus told his disciples that he was about to be betrayed, killed, but that would serve a greater purpose, and they didn't understand that. If you remember John chapter 13, verse 21 through John 14, 16, he actually is explaining this. They still don't understand it. They don't get it, and, uh, but nonetheless, he explains this to them. Now, in the middle of him doing that in John 13 and John 14, Jesus gives them some comforting words that reveals a significant theological shift from Old Covenant to New Covenant, what he is about to do and what that means for them, and ultimately what? What it means for us as well. And this is what it says, John 14, verse 16. It says, I will, Jesus said, I will ask the Father, and he will give you another 
helper that he may be with you forever. That is the spirit of truth whom the world cannot receive because it does not see him or know him, but you know him because he abides with you. Now listen, the spirit of Christ is obviously with Christ. He said he abides with you, but he will also be in you. This is the shift that is coming. He abides with you, but he will live within you. Now, just a few chapters later, Jesus goes as far to say that it is better that I go. We're talking about death, resurrection, and ascension. It is better that I go so that the Holy Spirit can come. Why? Because of what he just said to them right there in John 14. He abides with you, but he will live inside of you. That is not an old covenant reality, and we have to lock that in. This is a theological statement as far as we are concerned, but it is a New Testament reality. And so this is important in our conversation that what could be better than the physical Jesus being with the disciples, the Holy Spirit living in and regenerating, making the disciples born from above. Those who were under the old covenant did not have the indwelling presence of the Holy Spirit, which means if you are in Christ, that you have a more privileged position before God than everyone under the old covenant. I mean that. I can say that definitively. In fact, Jesus would make this statement about John the Baptist, you know, in, in, in a similar way. Now, here's what happens. Jesus, we know he dies for our sins. He rises again to new life. John chapter 20 and verse 21, Jesus comes to his disciples. Now, they're, it seems like they're locked in a home. They're fearful. They don't know exactly what to think. Jesus approaches them. Sometimes people say he walked through a wall. We don't exactly know how it played out. That would be pretty cool, though, wouldn't it? That'd be kind of cool. That'd be a decent Saturday is what I think right there. Whoa, how are you doing? John 20, 21, Jesus is with his disciples after his resurrection, before his ascension, and he says, peace be with you, as the Father has sent me, I also send you. And when he had said this, he breathed on them, and he says this, receive the Holy Spirit. Now, if you have ever seen uh, some... uh, Pentecostal preacher breathe on people and say, receive the Holy Spirit, that is is a gross misinterpretation of this passage. This is a massive historical moment. When Jesus, the Son of God, raised from the dead, says, as the Father has sent me, now I send you, he breathes on them and says, receive the Holy Spirit. The grammar would suggest receive into yourself the Holy Spirit. Now, why did he do this? Because that's the natural question that we should ask. And the way that we answer that question is by looking all the way back in the book of Genesis. Look at Genesis chapter 2. This is the creation account in verse 7. And it says, when God made man, the Lord God formed man of dust from the ground. And look what he does. He breathes into his nostrils the breath of life, and man became a living being. So God breathed his spirit into Adam, which caused him to be alive. Later in the same chapter, though, God says to him, I believe it's verse 17, if you eat from a certain tree, the tree of the knowledge of good and evil, if you eat from that tree, the day you eat of it, you will die. Now, he breathed in him, and he was alive. But he says, if you eat from this, 
you're going to die. And that's exactly what happens in Genesis chapter 3. Both Adam and Eve, they eat from the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. And not just physical, but also spiritual death sets in to every person that is ever born through Adam and Eve, that's every human being, that would ever exist would be born spiritually dead. We literally are born and we die. We know that's, that's what happens. And death is not something that God created for us. He created us for life. And so this is the confusion that we find ourselves in. It says in Ephesians chapter 2 and verse 1, it says that we are born. It's talking about us as human beings. We are dead in our sins and our transgressions. Spiritually, when we are born into this world, spiritually, we are dead spiritually. We need something, or should we say someone, to resuscitate us and make us alive, which is what God created us for. And don't you know, this is why Jesus would say things like, I am the resurrection and the, I am the way, the truth, and the life. In fact, I believe the tree of life in the garden typifies and represents Jesus Christ. That's what we're seeing here throughout the Gospels. Jesus personifies he is life. We don't want Jesus in our life. We want Jesus as our life. And so we look back here at John chapter 20 and verse 21 where Jesus says, Receive the Holy Spirit. What was this? This was a recreation moment. That's what this was because we are spiritually dead. And when he breathed on them and said, receive the Holy Spirit, they did receive the Holy Spirit into themselves. And their spirit, which was dead previously, has now been born again. And they are now alive. And that sets the pattern for every person that is obviously in need of a Savior who yields their life to Christ when they give themselves to Jesus, repent from their sin, and yield to Him. They, we are born again. Our spirit is revived. Our spirit is made alive. God Himself breathes in us, and we're alive again. We are recreated. This is what we obviously call, theologically, we call it regeneration. If you've taken systematic theology, you know that so God's spirit, or his breath, brought life when we were created, and God's spirit brings life when we are recreated in Christ. Jesus' disciples received the Holy Spirit within, and they were made alive to God in Christ. And we, too, need the same thing to happen in us. Now, Ben, why are you talking about this? Because our theology of the Holy Spirit matters. I had somebody walk up to me on Sunday. It was their first time here. And if you're here, God bless you. Hey, and ask me, do you, as Pentecostal church, do you believe that, uh, that, that you need to be, be baptized with the Holy Spirit and speak in tongues in order to be saved? And of course, I said, no, we do not believe that. We believe that we need to repent from our sin, surrender our hearts to Jesus. When we do that, we believe upon the risen Christ, and the Holy Spirit comes to live inside of us, and we are born from above. We are born again, John chapter 3 and verse 3. Born again. This is not an old term that we should put away. We should bring the term back. You need to be born again. I always want to talk in a southern accent. I just think it sounds better. So if you're from the south, preach. You know, I don't know. It's amazing. But we need to be born again. We need to be born from above. But when you read scripture, what you clearly see is this is not all that the Holy Spirit does. And so there are so many people that think 
that when you are regenerated or when the Holy Spirit comes to live inside of you and makes you new in Christ, that that also is every other thing that the Bible describes that the Holy Spirit does. And that is not the case. The Holy Spirit does many things. And so we also need to understand that this is the beginning work of the Holy Spirit in our lives. Now that we have the person, the indwelling presence of the Holy Spirit, it has just begun. It's like game on from there. We need this to happen first. We are now Christians. But we know that's not it. So the Holy Spirit wants to also empower us. Acts chapter 1 tells us that Jesus appeared many more times to his apostles after his resurrection, and he was obviously preparing them to continue his mission and his ministry before he ascended to be with the Father, which is obviously what he was about to do. Now, the apostles, they had received the indwelling presence of the Holy Spirit, and they had the best training in the world that money cannot buy. They had been with Jesus, the Son of God, for three years. I can't even imagine what that would be like. Like, there's no podcast or book that could, could, could even come close to what these guys got. You know, I mean, no matter who you follow, Jesus obviously is the Christ. They follow him for three years, and Jesus tells them that there's still something missing. Now, I want to remind you that they have already received the Holy Spirit. He didn't say there's something missing in your salvation, but he says there's something missing if you're going to continue my ministry. And this is what he says in Acts chapter 1, verse 8. And by the way, when we hear this, hear this with ears pertaining to yourself. Because the day and age in which we're living, we need the thing that Jesus is talking about. He says this, Acts 1, 8. You will receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you. Now, that grammar, it does matter. Come upon is not the same as coming to live inside. This language is similar to what we read about under the Old Covenant when the power or the anointing of the Holy Spirit would come upon people in the Old Covenant. And whenever the Holy Spirit came upon someone, there would be something significant that would happen. This is the anointing. Like for a prophet, priest, and king, we would see they would receive an anointing and they could hear the voice of God, they could speak to the people, and all kinds of other things God would anoint them to do, and they would have the power to do it when the Holy Spirit came upon them. And he says, you shall receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you, and you shall be my witnesses in both Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, and even the remotest parts of the earth. Before the apostles could be sent out as witnesses of Jesus, they needed the power of Jesus. And this reference, obviously, is something that we usually share as the baptism with the Holy Spirit. The word baptism means immersion. Just like when somebody is water baptized, water is the element, and a person goes under the water, and it obviously signifies or is symbolic. It's not just symbolism, but it's symbolic to you being buried in Christ and rising to new life. Like that's resurrection. It's death and resurrection. The water is the element and it just signifies your sins, your old man, your old woman being washed away and you coming up in the power of regeneration. That's what the baptism in water is all about. The baptism with the Holy Spirit is the Holy Spirit is the element. And when you go down under the power of the Holy Spirit, you come up raised, not regenerated, but empowered to do what Jesus did. 
The word baptism is just a description word. It means to dunk, to dip, to immerse. And I say dumb things like you can, you know, baptize your chicken in barbecue sauce. It doesn't, it's not a holy word. The word baptize is not a holy word. I know religion makes it holy. We, we take these common words in the original language and we make them something that they're not. They're just describing something that has taken place. So when you break out your concordance and you look every time when the Holy Spirit or, or the word baptized, they're not the same thing. We're baptized in water for the remission of our sins. We're baptized in the Holy Spirit for power to continue the ministry of Jesus Christ. So this is what we say when we're talking about this very experience that Jesus is telling them that they need. It was not negotiable. It was essential. He says, go into Jerusalem and wait. And do not go until you receive the power. You and I need the same power. We need the same power. It is not negotiable. It is essential. Of all the things that are essential, right, this certainly is. And so they do that very thing. In obedience to Jesus, the apostles return to Jerusalem, and they're waiting for this promised power encounter. They don't know what it's going to look like, but they know that they are waiting for the presence, the person of the Spirit. Acts chapter 2, verse 1, you know this verse if you've been around this church for any length of time. It says, When the day of Pentecost had come, they were all together in one place, and suddenly there came from heaven a noise like a violent rushing wind, filled the whole house where they were sitting, and there appeared tongues as a fire distributing themselves, and they rested on each one of them, and they were all filled with the Holy Spirit, and they began to speak with other languages, other tongues, as the Spirit was giving them utterance. Now, there's this crowd. Somehow, they're in this upper room, and it doesn't say when or how, but then they're outside all of a sudden. So there's a little bit of a time lapse here. When they're outside and they're speaking in all these languages, if you count them up, it's 13 different dialects that they're speaking or they're being heard spoken, or people are hearing in their own language. This is such a significant supernatural thing, all right? This is not something that can happen by a person learning a language. It's supernatural. The fire, the wind, the languages, it's a power encounter. Certainly they knew that whatever Jesus told them to wait for had happened in that moment. There are people that are awestruck. They're like, oh my gosh, this is God. There are other people that are perplexed, confused. There are other people that are mocking, saying they must be drunk with that sweet wine. But Peter says, no, this is that. And he gets up and he quotes from the book of Joel chapter 2. And you've heard this before, verse 14, and this is Acts chapter 2, verse 14, but he's quoting Joel 2, which is a prophecy that's hundreds of years old. He says, men of Judea and all you who live in Jerusalem, let this be known to you and give heed to my words, for these men are not drunk, as you suppose. It is only 9 a.m., but this is what was spoken of through the prophet Joel. In other words, a prophetic word has come to pass, and you've seen it happen right here in your midst. And here's the prophecy. It shall be in the last days, God says, that I will pour forth of my spirit on all mankind, and your sons and your daughters shall prophesy. Your young men shall see visions, your old men will dream dreams. Even on my bond slaves, both men and women, I will in those days pour forth of my spirit, and they shall prophesy. I want, I want you to see this. The Holy Spirit will be poured out, and they shall prophesy. And, and that's a principle. When the Holy Spirit is poured out, people will prophesy. That's not all that we will do. But the ministry and the power and the life, the river of the Spirit, begins to move power th powerfully through human beings when He is poured out. We see this here. We see this throughout history. We need it now. 
He goes on to saying, I will grant wonders in the sky above, signs on the earth below, blood fire, vapor of smoke. The sun will be turned into darkness, the moon into blood before the great and glorious day of the Lord shall come. And it shall be that everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. In my book, I explain a lot of this language, just in case you're wondering. I won't have the time tonight to do that, but I do want to make sure that you're aware there is a reference where you can learn more about that. And I'm not even selling it, so you don't have to buy it. You can have it for free. This guy is selling his book. No, you trust me, and I'm giving you something. In this passage, we read about the birth of the church, not the Gentile church, just the Jewish church, The birth of the Gentile church happens in Acts chapter 10. The emphasis uh, Peter has here, I think, is really interesting. They shall prophesy. Now, a lot of times people overlook these words like they don't mean anything, but they mean what the Bible dictates. So the Bible always dictates our attitude and our definition of words. I know today it's really popular to describe or define prophecy in new terms. Well, prophecy means to read the Bible and interpret it. It, In other words, preach. (laughs) Prophecy means to teach the Bible. No, it doesn't. It never meant that, and it doesn't mean that today. Prophecy means that we hear the voice of God, right, and we communicate what God is saying. Now, again, we talk about how we're not equating that to Scripture. Scripture had a separate purpose. It was God's Word for all people, for all time, for every generation. The Word of the Lord stands forever, right? The flower fades, but the word of God stands forever. That is in a category all of its own. But there's a couple things that we want to see in this passage. Number one, the spirit has been poured out on all. And we're talking about Jew and Gentile. We're not talking about every human being. We're talking about every person that believes upon Jesus, every person that calls on the name of the Lord, those individuals, the Holy Spirit will be poured out on people. And when this happens, we will experience what it actually says. Now, this is totally different from the Old Covenant. I've already said that a few times, but just to make it really clear, in the Old Covenant, the prophet, priest, king, and judge, those were the only four positions that typically would have an outpouring of the Holy Spirit or the anointing of the Spirit would come upon them and then they would, in whatever their assignment was, they would now have the anointing of power to fulfill that assignment. Now, there are a few exceptions to that, and I explained it, but very few. That was typical. And we know that they knew this too, those that lived under the old covenant that had experienced the anointing of the Spirit. Because King David, when he had sinned, By taking another man's wife and having that man killed, he writes a psalm of lament, Psalm chapter 51. And he makes this interesting, he writes this interesting thing and he says, do not cast me away, he's talking to God, from your presence and do not take your Holy Spirit from me. Don't sing that song ever. You live in the new covenant. You have the Holy Spirit living in you if you believe in Jesus. You never have to pray or say or sing that song. David knew that as a king, I have misrepresented God, and therefore the anointing of the Spirit that is upon me that I've experienced. He did not have the Holy Spirit living in him. He had only experienced the anointing, and he had tasted of that, and he said, please do not take your Holy Spirit from me because I've misrepresented you. You and I don't have to say that to God. And you should, everybody smile. That, was, that wasn't fair. That wasn't fair. But that's amazing because we're living in a time of history that is significantly different from when David prayed this and sang this to the Lord. David was, 
He understood what was happening. So Peter is now talking about the pouring out of the Holy Spirit on all men and women, young and old, Jew and Gentile. And that's why they were so ecstatic. That's why people misunderstood what was happening because the joy of the Lord was on them so strongly. And people were thinking, they got to be drunk. No, they weren't drunk. They had history come upon them. And can you imagine having a prophecy fulfilled from like 500 years ago and history comes upon you? In this meeting, what if history, prophecy was fulfilled right now? What would that be like? I think everybody would be dancing. Those of you that say, I don't dance, you'd be dancing. You'd be doing something. You'd be tapping your leg. You'd be doing something. And for a couple of you, if you move your leg, revival, we know revival is happening. There's a couple of you, you move your shoulder, something is happening over in this section right here. A person just move their shoulder. Yeah, that's right. I don't dance. So if something, if I start leaping or whatever, you know that it is the Holy Ghost. I don't get that excited. My wife's never seen it. She would go, what are you doing? Yeah, just look at my wife. When something strange happens with me, just look at my wife. She'll be, <laughs> she'll be the, the thermometer on that one. Not the thermostat, the thermometer. She won't be able to. All right, never mind. Number two, what we read about here in this passage, all will be able to prophesy. The Holy Spirit is poured out. All will be able to prophesy. And we're talking about the consequences of the outpouring that is so significant that people will be able to hear God and say what he is saying. I, I want you to get this locked in. This is what the Bible says about the new covenant, that you and I, as we receive the outpouring of the Holy Spirit, they shall prophesy. That means what you think it means. It does not mean that we're going to write scripture. It means that we are going to hear the voice of the Father, and we are going to communicate on his behalf. We are going to speak from the heart of God. We are not speaking for God. We are speaking from God. There's a river that flows through us. Friend, I want you, I want you to know the Holy Spirit of God lives inside you. All right, that's true or it's not. Now, sometimes in church... And in classes, we talk, well, you know, the Holy Spirit, we, we, we make it like it's a, just a teaching. It's a reality. I'm not trying to shake you, but I mean, that's what it is. And sometimes we talk like it's not a big deal. I mean, have you ever seen somebody get something for free, like a Ferrari, and they just didn't show any emotion? You're like, what is wrong with that person? We were watching a television show not that long ago because we're in a fast. But it was a long time. It was a while ago. But we, you know, we were watching a show and somebody was given something incredibly expensive for free and they, they showed like zero emotion. It was just like, oh, you know, that's, yeah. They were like, the guy was like, aren't you freaking out? And he was kind of like, yeah, you know, it's, it's, you know, it happens. It's great. Thank you. It's like, what is wrong with you? Do you not know what just happened? You know, not that you need to be extra emotional. I, I mean, I'm not a big crier, and I'm not a dancer, and I'm not a jumper, and I'm not whatever Mr. Exuberant. There are others of you. You guys are, and I love you. But, you know, I would freak out when these things happen. And, and this gets my blood boiling. This thing gets the juices flowing. This is reality here that we're talking about. Sometimes the Pentecostal church gets blamed for being emotional or being swept away in emotionalism. You should have emotion. Oh my gosh. The fact that you don't. Maybe you don't live in this reality. I'm not saying you should look like everyone else. Don't feel shame on this, but it's just amazing. Like, well, the Pentecostal church is just swept up in emotionalism. Maybe 
they just experienced God. I don't know. Remember when I spoke in tongues and nobody had to teach me this. Nobody talked me into it. Nobody forced me to speak in tongues. I didn't get in some line and some guy popped me over the head and say, just say shatabaka and you're, you got it, brother. Awesome. That didn't happen to me. I genuinely encountered God and something began to come out of my mouth and I didn't understand it. It was awesome. So if that means emotionalism, fine. Chalk it up to whatever you want. But that's what happened. You can say it didn't, but you're wrong. And I'm okay if you're wrong. I mean, I'm okay. You know? Yeah, amen. That's right. I can't even tell who's saying amen in the room. But I like all of you then. You know, it just, it just puts us all on equal footing. It's amazing. But here's what we're talking about. Everyone can prophesy. We've just received something and here's what I believe. I believe that I'm not, here to t- I'm not here to give you anything. I'm here to tell you what is yours. And I don't buy it. I don't believe anybody that ever steps up and says, you know, come and receive my anointing. I don't want your anointing. <laughs> I want the Holy Spirit's anointing. That's what he came to give. I don't buy that. I really don't. No, literally, I won't put any money in that offering. We're not selling something. We're telling people what God has done in Christ. From the day of Pentecost, he's made something available that is just incredible. It is mind-blowing. It's not to make us powerful people. It's not to make us popular people. It is to make us look like, act like, and be able to live like Jesus Christ on the earth to represent him as he has called us to. It's not like he said, go and do it. And by the way, it's impossible. He said, go and be like me, act like me, live like me, but you need the same spirit as me. And I'll give you what you need. But you've got to receive that very thing. The baptism of the Holy Spirit is something that we've got to talk about not just once in a while, but more often. And that's why we do. That's why Pastor, amen. That's why Pastor Steve Shell preached the baptism of the Holy Spirit at Northwest Church again and again and again. And that's why I'm going to preach the baptism of the Holy Spirit again and again and again, is to make sure that every person knows you cannot live the Christian life. You cannot read the Bible and come to a place where you're going to actually live the words of Scripture without the same power that Jesus himself had and said we need. Otherwise, we are going to read the Bible and we are going to feel guilty because there is absolutely no way that we can live out the words of Scripture without the power of the Holy Spirit. No way. No wonder why it's easy to feel like a guilty Christian. The life of a Christian is a life of surrender to the person of Jesus and just this yieldedness, our need for the Holy Spirit to be filled with the Holy Spirit day in and day out so that we can glorify Jesus, so that we can bring people to Jesus, preach the gospel of Jesus and point to Jesus. Otherwise, we will be swept up by the power of this world. It doesn't take much to get us off track. I almost rhymed, but the Holy Spirit will bring us home back. I was gonna do it, but I just thought, you know, that wasn't the time. I like to rhyme. It's just, it just happened. I didn't even mean to do it. It just happens. I know you, you're smiling at me under your mask. I know you are. 
You can prophesy because the Holy Spirit lives in you, comes upon you to be a witness of Jesus. Revelation 19 says the testimony of Jesus is the spirit of prophecy. Spirit of prophecy, the testimony of Jesus. The testimony of Jesus, spirit of prophecy. I, I, I've heard a lot of speculation about what that means. I, I just, my simple view of this is that the testimony of Jesus is that he is always giving us what we do not deserve and we cannot earn. The testimony of Christ. Sacrificially obedient to the Father to give to others what they do not deserve and they cannot earn. This, this testimony of Christ, like the Father's love being poured out for sinners who could never earn and deserve. It's made, this is the Jesus. Sometimes people want me to be more mad at people when I preach at them. God's not mad at you. God loves us. I mean, the wrath of God is going to come to this world, and it will be poured out on people that, that choose not to follow Jesus. That will happen. That is a reality. But the good news of Jesus is that the kingdom of God is at hand. The rule and the reign of God is at hand. It's so close you can touch it. It's at hand. And we preach Christ crucified, risen from the dead, that every person, man, woman, young, old, Jew, Gentile, whoever you are, you can come to Christ. Whoever calls on the name of the Lord shall be saved. And then you and I can be empowered as a witness of Jesus carrying the very same message that's changed our life. Why am I even a pastor? It wasn't because I felt some call to be a pastor. I just got on the conveyor belt of transformation and it led me all the way to here. It doesn't matter what you do in life. What matters is, is that you and I follow Christ in such a way where as we read the words of Scripture, we realize we need the presence and the power of the Holy Spirit. We ask for the presence and the power of the Holy Spirit, and then we minister out of the presence and the power of the Holy Spirit. But here's the question that I have. Are you baptized? Are you immersed in the power of the Holy Spirit? Are you baptized in the power of the Holy Spirit? If you're not, we need to not let another day go by where you don't know. We need to pray because what God has made available in Christ is not something that we have to earn, okay? It's something that we need in Christ. He's made available through him just today, just like it was then. Now, I'm, I'm sharing with you this last principle, and there's, there's nothing to it, or there's not much to it. It's not very long is what I meant. That was awesome. There are a lot of things flowing through my mind right there. I didn't say you should be proud of me. You don't even know that, but you should. I didn't say some bad things. All right. The Holy Spirit will flow through you. The Bible records several instances where someone prophesied right after the Holy Spirit empowered them. These are just a few. Numbers 11.25, 1 Samuel 10.10, Luke 1.67, Acts 2.17. I could keep going. What I'm trying to say is, is that in the Bible, there were times the Holy Spirit was poured out, and as he was poured out, they prophesied. So this is theology. This is what God did. And now in Acts chapter 2, for those who are now new in Christ, they're waiting for the power of the Holy Spirit to come. They experience the power of the Holy Spirit. Peter gets up, quotes Joel chapter 2, and says, this is that. What you're seeing is what was promised long ago and experiencing right now. They shall prophesy. They have this privileged place before God to receive the Holy Spirit for regeneration, receive the power of the Holy Spirit for ministry. 
And now that's every disciple after that very point. And if I had time to teach on the baptism of the Holy Spirit, I keep talking about Jesus was born of the Spirit, baptized with the Spirit. I don't have time to do that. But it's interesting to me that when Jesus talked about the Holy Spirit in John chapter 7, verse 37, he gives a metaphor for what the work of the Spirit is like. And this is what it says. He said this. Now, on the last day, the great day of the feast, Jesus stood and cried out, saying, If anyone is thirsty, let him come to me and drink. He who believes in me, as the Scripture said, from his innermost being will flow rivers of living water. But this he spoke of the Spirit, whom those he be- who believed in him were to receive. For the Spirit was not yet given, because Jesus was not yet glorified. Jesus speaks of the Holy Spirit as a river. I think it's a powerful picture. Rivers, they, they have a specific source, and they flow from that source. They keep moving, and everywhere they go, they bring life on the banks of that river. They bring life. Rivers bring life. Here's what I believe about the gifts of the Spirit and prophecy in particular. The Holy Spirit wants to flow through us. He wants to flow through like a river, words that we would have for people. God wants to give us words for people. You know what it starts as? It starts as words of encouragement. Part of our mindset has to shift because if we don't see people, we won't hear the Lord the way that we need to. Jesus came into this world because of the love of the Father. For God so loved the world that he gave his one and only Son. If we don't love the people that are in the world, we are not going to be laying hold of what he wants to give to us for the people in the world. Sometimes we're not hearing the voice of the Father because he's trying to cleanse our minds and cleanse our hearts so that we can see people and treat them as Jesus did. And the more of our heart that we give away, the more that God can use. The more we give it to him. God, I give you all of this. And God will use it. So he's cleansing our mind. He's cleansing our hearts. And then he's speaking to us about people. And sometimes God wants to speak through us to people that we wouldn't want to speak to. But he'll give us profound things if we can hear it. Jesus said this like four or five times. You remember this? He said, If anyone has ears to hear, let him hear. What a provocative statement. If I were to say that to you, it's very provocative. If any of you have ears to hear, I hope you can hear. You're like, huh? I got got ears, Pastor Ben. What are you talking about? You trying to be offensive? You talked about not being offended, but I'm kind of offended right now. You have physical ears, but what Jesus was saying was, can you hear what I'm saying? I've always found it fascinating how two people can come into a room, sit sit in a seat next to each other, and one thing be said, and they both hear different things, or one hears and the other doesn't hear at all. Why? Because one person has ears to hear, and the other doesn't. And that's not offensive. That's That's just the reality of it. If we want to hear from the Lord, we can hear from the Lord. The Holy Spirit will make available to us what we need. Are we available to him? That's what we've got to ask ourselves. Lord, am I available to you for that river of God to flow through me? Or or am I just a river of the world? Am I just a river of opinion? What, What is the river that's flowing through me? Here's how you can tell. What comes out of your mouth? What comes out of your mouth? Is it words from God? What comes out of your passion? 
Is it about Jesus? What's it about? I think this is a very exposing time we're living in, right? A lot of stuff is coming out of us. What is the primary thing coming out of us? Is it Jesus? Is it his word? Is it the gospel? What's coming out of us? Is it the river of God? You know what the river of God looks like? Looks like Jesus. Jesus is with someone in John 4. This woman comes and he says some pretty amazing things to her. Woman, give me a drink. And it's a different time, you know, different time. Give me a drink. She says something sarcastic back. And he says to her, if you knew who you were speaking to, you would ask me for the water of life. If you, if you knew who, you were, who was asking you, you, you would ask me for a drink. Because the water that I have, it springs up to eternal life. It satisfies everything else that you're seeking to drink from. It, it's what you're looking for. This drink will satisfy you eternally, the water that I give. See, God wants to move that river through our lives. That's what I believe when it comes to prophecy. Prophecy isn't the only part of that river, but it's a part of the river of God. And so what do I believe? I believe that as we trust and believe and step out on faith for the Holy Spirit to speak to our hearts for people, I believe he does. It's that simple. It's my theology. That's the foundation of my theology. Why do I believe that? Because of what I just taught you. Old Testament, New Testament, Acts chapter 2. This gives us the confidence to step out and minister, right? So that's the foundation, okay? Everyone can prophesy. Every person that I have ever been able to convince of what I just taught you from the word, every person has prophesied, to my knowledge. Uh, a lot of people have told me, Ben, I've never given a prophetic word to people, but they usually, in their minds, they have something that is so grandiose that, of course, they're never, you will never be Jeremiah, Isaiah, Ezekiel. I mean, we're not looking for a heavenly vision of eschatology and how the end times are going to unfold. What we're looking for is a word of encouragement for the person on your right, the person on your left. Can God give that to you? Of course he can. The Bible says, many are the thoughts that God has for you. Too numerous to count. This is what I think. If you just ask how God thinks about the person next to you, do you think that he'll share something with you? Many are the thoughts that God has toward you. Too numerous to count. We tend to think about each other and people in natural ways, but God supernaturally shows us what we could not know. He trusts us. He's entrusting something special to us, and he wants to use our lives powerfully. Let the river flow, amen? So here's, here's what I want to do, okay? I'm sure everybody's baptized with the Holy Spirit, but I'm not sure. So if you are not sure if you're baptized with the Holy Spirit, and you're like, Pastor Ben, I want that to happen. I, I want to be activated in the power of God. I'm not asking you if you're saved. If you're already saved, but you're not sure if you've been baptized with the Holy Spirit, but are you at a place where you can receive and acknowledge, I need this, and I'm not sure if I have it. Are you there? So if you are, I'm, I'm just going to pray. I just want you to posture your heart in prayer. So we put our hands out to the Lord as a sign of surrender. We're, just, we're asking to receive. So you, you can ask him. Nobody can hear you. They can only hear me. I'm the one with the microphone. So thank you, Lord. Just go ahead and ask him. I want to receive the power of the Holy Spirit. So the Bible says, thank you, Lord. So Father, we thank you. Would you come in your power? And we pray that you would immerse 
in such a special way. Thank you, Lord. We pray, God, that you would accompany each person's faith with the evidence that you provide when you baptize us in the Holy Spirit. Come, Holy Spirit. And we're just going to wait. Don't, don't even um, move on. Just patience is really important. Thank you, Lord. We pray that you would pour out your Spirit such a special way. Thank you, Lord. Come, Holy Spirit. That's all you have to say. You can just say, come, Holy Spirit. He lives in you because you, you're, you're His in Christ, but it's about His power coming upon you. That's all you have to say. Come, Holy Spirit. Thank you, Lord. So, Father, we do, we pray that you would pour out your Spirit on every person in such a way that they would know that they have been immersed, that they have been baptized with power from on high. We don't need to hype up any of this. Your word says that it is true and that by faith we receive. Just like when you told your disciples to wait in Jerusalem, sometimes when we just stand and we acknowledge that we need, you honor that faith. God, I pray over every person right now that they would encounter your presence. They would receive the baptism of power. You would activate the gifts of the Spirit. You would give them a spiritual language. You would cause them to hear your voice and prophesy. You would activate the gifts of the Holy Spirit in their life. Thanks for listening. If you'd like more information about Ignite Global Ministries, please go to our website, igniteglobalministries.org. While there, check out our Immersion Discipleship School and the books Pastor Ben has written.